This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. Hello. My name is Professor Ramey, and I direct the academic support program at Suffolk University Law School. Today's podcast topic is Transitioning from the Classroom to the Examination Blue Book. Most every student is quite diligent about preparing for and then going to class. While in class, students take voluminous notes, while at the same time trying to answer the questions coming from their professors. It's only after class is over that students begin to wonder whether they are getting all they should from the classroom dialogue. Too often, some of these hard-working students perform worse than their abilities would dictate on the exams, and the reason is quite simple. They haven't always taken away the correct information from their readings and from class, so their performance on exams suffers. In the end, your professors are sending you two distinct messages in most first-year classes, and it is your job as a student to understand them both. The first of these messages is fairly straightforward. These are the rules of law that you must know. While your analytical abilities will play a large role in determining how well you do in a law school exam, the rules of law are the starting point for performing legal analysis. It may seem obvious, but the rules of law come from the case and statutes you're reading. This is why it is so important to try and bottom line every case you read for class. To do this, ask yourself the following question. Why is this case in the casebook? Typically, cases are in your casebook for one of four different reasons. First, the case is announcing a new legal principle that you have yet to encounter in class. This could be anything from the definition of adverse possession in your property class to the elements of an assault in your torts class. Second, the case is addressing a principle that you have already discussed in class, but this case is laying out how another jurisdiction deals with the issue. For example, some jurisdictions follow basic common law principles regarding contract formation, while others employ Article 2 of the Uniform Commercial Code. The third reason that a case might be in the casebook is that it, announce, it is announcing an exception to the basic rule you began with. For example, in Massachusetts, most anything can be a dangerous weapon under the law as long as the defendant intends to use that item to cause harm to another person. In the case of Commonwealth v. Davis, however, an exception to this general rule was announced. The human body itself cannot fit the definition of dangerous weapon regardless of the defendant's intent. The fourth and final major reason that cases appear in casebooks is that they are announcing a refinement to a legal principle that was pre previously discussed in another case. For example, in the torts context, you will learn that an assault requires that the defendant commits some act that places another in apprehension of an imminent battery. On the surface, the word imminent seems clear enough, that the battery is about to happen. But, the next case you read involves a scenario where the defendant points a gun at the plaintiff saying, I'd better not see you around here again or I will shoot. In that case, the court holds that while the action of pointing a gun suggests an imminent battery, the words negated that threat by making it clear the battery might only occur at some point in the future. Therefore, there was no imminence. To wrap up this portion of the podcast, one part of the takeaway message from class is that these are the rules of law that you must know. And while these principles of law come in four major varieties, new rules, exceptions to rules, refinements of rules, or jurisdictional variations, in the end, what is important is that you know the rules. This, however, is only one of the two messages you are supposed to take away from class.
The second message is subtler, but it's also extremely important when trying to perform up to your potential on exams. The second message involves the skill of legal analysis. In the context of your classroom, this means understanding how to apply the rules you have just learned to diverse factual scenarios. In the end, legal analysis is an essential aspect of being a lawyer. You are using the past, which is the law, applying it to the present, which is the factual scenario you're working with, in order to predict an outcome or the future. Your analysis of whether the law will or will not apply to a specific factual scenario is an effort to predict the future, which is why professors spend time working with you in class to develop this skill. Every time your professor takes the facts from one of the cases you have read, alters them, and then asks you whether the result would change, they are testing your analytical abilities and whether you can identify the critical facts. Facts are critical when, if they are changed, your answer might change as well. In addition, these hypos are preparing you for final exams. And while your final answer as to whether a rule would apply to a factual scenario is important, it is the explanation of your reasoning that is truly legal analysis. Every hypo that you go over in class is meant to illustrate a set of facts that might be problematic to answer. In other words, the answer based on the given set of facts is probably not that obvious. During class, it can be difficult to figure out the right answer but that is often because there is no one perfect answer. Difficult hypotheticals lead to difficult answers. In difficult answers, there are often multiple possible outcomes. When there are multiple possible outcomes, your job is to identify all of them and then tell the reader which outcomes seem the most likely. To illustrate the point, let's review the assault example I mentioned a few moments ago. This assault typo can be downloaded from the website for those students who want to follow along. As a reminder, an assault requires an intentional act that places another in apprehension, which really means awareness, of an imminent battery. In the example, the defendant points a gun at the victim and states, I'd better not see you around here again or I will shoot. The victim backs away based, based on the defendant's statements and his actions. The analysis of the issue would sound something like this. When the defendant pointed the gun at the victim, he may have committed an assault which is the placement of another in apprehension of an imminent battery. The defendant has certainly committed a volitional act, which is pointing the gun at the defendant. In addition, the victim appears to be in apprehension or awareness of what is going on because the facts state that he backed away based on the defendant's words and conduct. The real problem here is whether the defendant's act placed the victim in apprehension of an imminent battery. If the defendant simply pointed the gun and did not say anything, he, he would have probably committed an assault. The act is sufficiently threatening, and the defendant's backing away would indicate that at least he believed a battery was imminent. Here, however, words accompanied the defendant's actions. In addition to pointing the gun, the defendant stated, I'd better not see you around here again or I will shoot. These words placed the action of pointing the gun into a clearer context. These words are telling the victim that he will be shot if he returns to the area. Thus, the defendant has placed a condition on battering the plaintiff, and this condition, returning to the area, may never be met. Therefore, the potential battery being threatened by the defendant is not imminent, and there can be no assault. Although quite basic, this simple answer illustrates several important aspects of good legal analysis. First, I have provided the reader with the rule of law that I'm using. Second, I have addressed every element of an assault, but spent 
the most time discussing the element that was clearly at issue, which is imminence. I repeated the key facts in my analysis, and then explained to the reader why I thought these facts led to my conclusion. And, where appropriate, I considered alternative possibilities, but still came up with a final answer. In conclusion, there are two major things that you're supposed to take away from every class. First, the rules of law, and second, how these rules of law might be applied to a specific set of facts. So, after every class is over, spend time ensuring that you got the rules of law and that you know how to apply them. If you can do that, you'll perform up to your abilities on your law school exams. Thank you. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.